0: (laughs) They turned out to be completely unreliable assholes.
1: (laughs) All right. Hey, Tim. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Pew, 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 pew. I'm giving you finger guns. Pew, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Pew. (laughs) Zap. And
0: Hello. (laughs) Everyone listening to this, yes, you, indeed you, welcome to episode 143 by our count of Dismembering Horror, the podcast shoe where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslin. Ow, got me in the eye there, old Tim. Hey, we dismember a horror film every week. <laughs> we talk to me. <laughs> We talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we, or a guest, found
1: interesting or noteworthy about the horror film. And That's on it. today's show, special guest Roman Polanski. <laughs> you know what? Uh... That is the uh, the the pole
0: in the room, the convicted Polish person in the room to uh, clear the air on for sure. <laughs> so okay. I'm glad you got that out out front. And boy, since we're there, I mean, hey, then, I mean, we could say more on our show, but um, that's indeed what we're talking about. Roman Plansky film, the third of his unofficial apartment trilogy of horror films mm. from 1976, The Tenant which was, as Tim just pointed out, directed by old Roman Polanski, written by Roman and Gerard Brock, based on The Tenant by Roland Topor. And- yeah,
1: I mean, maybe we should just get it out of the way and say, in spite of Roman Polanski maybe making movies that we enjoy, I think we can agree that he has proven to be a fairly despicable human as far as we know um and we don't condone him as a person yeah so you know well i think it's a weird thing to like be like oh i really love this movie that's
0: i think that's the specific thing to get into tim like how are you in general with kind of like the separation from art and artist. Do you have mm-hmm. specific examples that go one way or the other? Where can where are you at with all that? As a general
1: rule, when it's film or music, um, my stance is condemn the the individual who behaves badly, but also recognize that these types of art forms involve. It's not just a single person who makes the art. So like there's countless production staff, crew, performers, et cetera, that go into making a good film. And so I think you have to separate the bad individual from those people and still be able to, you know, have an opinion of the the art that has come out of everybody that was involved. And you know just sort of say like i'm not i'm not condoning him individually at, by at any <laughs> in any way um but there are other people that were involved that i think deserve credit and deserve to have their contribution recognized um there's I, you know it it it's it's murky because are you know you could ask the question are you somehow like were those people enabling his behavior I like I don't know you know what I mean like are they complicit by by working with him I, I don't I don't think so at the time so it's like I don't want to guilt by association anybody um It is weird though thinking nowadays about like Adrian Brody was working with him on the piano right Yeah you know, in the 90s Yeah so yeah that's kind of my general stance it's 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 problematic i mean it's difficult to figure out how to approach like how you view this type of stuff and whether you should maybe just wholesale condemn it and be like well i'm not going to participate in that i'm not entirely sure that i agree with that but i don't want to prop up or support in any way you know people who do horrible things so it's a yeah it's it's complicated. Yeah. Ditto. I agree with all that. It's
0: indeed complicated. Like, you know, I'm already thinking head to this episode. If I can can label something or recognize something as a directing skill of his. Mm-hmm. You know, I was coming off scene. You know, we all know Rosemary's Baby. I watched Repulsion not too long ago. So I'm kind of up on his, his trilogy, if you want to call it that. Like, it is weird because it, then it will sound like I am praising him, you know. But I I, I don't know. And it is murky. I'm, I'm someone who really does, like, just believe you, like, even from a creative standpoint, art exists outside of the artist. We are mere, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, <laughs> uh, transistors, <laughs> you know, for it, sure. whatever you want to call it. Um but then, like, I completely respect, you know, I think it's just, yeah, I mean, I mean, does, but, but can you just not, I mean, you're looking at his face, this whole movie, can you just not mm-hmm. think about it, is, I, I don't know, I think I want to acknowledge, I don't know if saying acknowledge my privilege is correct, but at least I do, I have had the convenience of living a life where someone who's specifically, you know, is guilty of what he is. Uh you know, I I'm I'm not, I'm not that's 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 not me, you know. I don't know. So it feels weird like like that's where I'm always questioning is like, well, God, should I have like more of a reaction where I just can't even watch mm-hmm. this? My my it's weird. But the one where I do have a strongest reaction, I feel really weird about watching Christopher Walken now. I mean, of mm-hmm. course, uh, you know, just because there's his awareness of something with Natalie Wood. And I mean, I, I tried watching Austin Powers and I couldn't look at number two, Robert Wagner. Like I did stop Oof. watching it. It was just, it was just, yeah. So it's weird for whatever circumstance, like that's a person in a story I got caught up in. So maybe I'm getting at, it's like I'm guilty of just because I don't know his victims by name and face. Right, I right. do have a separation and that feels, you know, weird to me, like maybe should have done that effort, but at the same time, is it making a bigger deal out of it? This is, this is an example of the murkiness you were alluding to.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's part of me that's like, okay, well, what's the, like, what do I think is the appropriate way to evaluate this? And I most certainly would not want to give any money to him. You know what I mean? I wouldn't want to support him in any way. Like, that feels obvious. Um, But again, like, it's, you know, when you watch a film, you're not just supporting the director, right? Like, it's, it's, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think my feeling in this particular case is condemn him and talk about the movie almost in terms of, the contribution of everybody else as much as you can. And I don't know. He's, it's very difficult with this one because he is so front and center.
0: Yeah, we are going to be talking about him throughout the
1: show. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's weird. Like, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a part of me that wants to be like, we should, it's almost like we shouldn't even cover it in sort of protest of him as a as a person but but then i then i sort of think well then are we almost in a way just turning away like putting blinders on to talking about a thing that's fucking super serious right i
0: mean how about just though right exactly there's that aspect of the serious of actually him but then also what the movie provides, if you are just looking at it as a movie, is character and the portrayal of the character. Like, because, and maybe it is, I'm a terrible person, time will tell, or you will tell me listening to this, that I am able to separate art from the artist in this case and get caught up in it like a movie. Like, Mm -hmm. I got a lot out of the themes and the story from this movie that I really, you know, that's unique to this film that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise.
1: Yeah, I mean, I felt similarly, like confused as to how to feel (laughs) when like learning more and more about Michael Jackson as an artist or as a person versus how I feel about the effect that the art that he created along again with a bunch of other people, but that those things like they exist and they, they've brought joy to a lot of people and so I'm like, well, that exists, right? Like, you can't kind of take that away. But this, he, as an individual, uh, allegedly, I guess you have to say, did some really horrible, reprehensible things. He uh, pleaded guilty to the main one, actually. Oh, did he? Okay, yeah. Okay, that's, that's good to clarify, because I, I don't know enough about it. Yeah. Um, you mean Michael Jackson did or Oh, Roman sorry, Plansky? Roman Plansky. Okay, well that is that's good to know. Sorry, you yeah, were talking so, about Michael in, Jackson. Yeah, in the case of Michael Jackson, you, you know, it's like <sighs> Does that mean I need to do, that I automatically need to stop liking that music? And and I my feeling is is no for me. But I think you can you they're not mutually exclusive. Like you can do both you can say that person acted reprehensibly and i completely condemn that and you can say i enjoy this music and that you know i believe me feel free like there's pushback i get i get and then why right cuz then pushback. there's
0: option c with like no it's so repren- i just can't there's just it's
1: too That's right. it's too tainted now now I think there's a really big other consideration kind of I think maybe sort of in the realm of what you were saying that like not being a victim of these types of uh, crimes makes it more easier for me to have that stance. So then like to try and look from the perspective of a victim and be sympathetic towards their experience, do we then say, well, for their sake – of not having to live in a world where they're being constantly reminded of their trauma, should we just wipe it from existence so that, it, to, in, a, in essence, to protect them? And I'm not sure that even that's... I, I, I We would have to talk to them to know how they felt about that, and there's going to be a spectrum, and it's going to be nuanced. So, you know, I think you can kind of say, here's how I feel, but like, very open to hearing from the people who actually have been impacted directly by these things and let them dictate or at least be a part of the conversation in our circumstance on this podcast we don't right now have that opportunity but welcome it for sure if people want to chime in like please do yeah it's i don't know it's ironic or what
0: but it's like whether it's Michael Jackson or Roman Polanski, I think they are very talented. Like you hear a Michael Jackson song, Come On. And, you know, if you're yeah. on that side of the spectrum, you explained, it, you know, it's only the song you're registering because it is so good, let's say. Mm-hmm. And that's, the, that's the, the, I don't know, the weird thing about this movie too is like, I, you know, it takes so much for me to like actually get into a movie world and, like, mm-hmm. but he's a talented enough of a filmmaker, awkwardly to say that i i just I wasn't even thinking about the outside world when watching
1: this at a certain point, right. just because the filmmaking itself is so adept I mean, we live in a world where this stuff is is kind of everywhere and and yeah, I don't think that we <laughs> as a society have really figured out how to address it. you know, I remember as I got older learning about certain sports figures that I had admired that I learned more about their personal life and was, like, really taken aback by some of the stories. Like, whether it be, you know, finding out that they're abusive towards their spouses or children or, like, abused drugs, which I don't actually think is something to really condemn somebody for now in my life, but, like, and more so to be like, oh, that person was actually suffering from, you know, an addiction problem that's a totally not not a thing to condemn somebody for but we you know we grew up at a time where that was such an emphasis of like oh my god like if you do drugs you're a bad person and and you know i think the attitude towards that has shifted but certainly the attitude towards beating your wife up or your kid up I don't – for me, it hasn't changed, but I think in the world it has. Like I think people care more about that now than they may have 30 years ago or something. Um, You know, so it's weird. It's always moving, and there are always going to be people who get propped up and admired for their success who are terrible people. In fact, you know (laughs) – it's it's very common <laughs> so it's it's confusing and complicated right
0: well i want to put a very hard demarcation on all that for what i'm about to say next this is not at all in reference to that or in response to that mm-hmm. but i think just some additional important context for you know just getting the tragic stuff out of the way up front mm-hmm. about uh in this case his life because it informs, you know, what we'll be talking about with the film. And it feels just, I mean, it also feels like something I don't want to put as a casual aside later. But uh Roman Plansky of course also known um tragically for his wife and um son, who is, you know, she was eight and a half months pregnant with him, were murdered. So that's um right. that's where <laughs> that's where uh that's where our awesome. star and director of this film—he's uh, got a lot filtering through that. So I just wanted to put
1: all that as a lens oh. for our discussion. And and to that point, what what were we? No looking point. At, I was
0: saying with there, but or to that, yeah, you
1: know, reality. <laughs> what year did that occur in? Oh, the murder. Um, yeah,
0: I believe it
1: was, was it- sixty-eight or nine. Okay, so quite a quite a ways before this movie was made. Yeah. Yeah, I mean at the very least I think you can say that he <laughs> he had a very uh intense life and probably suffered some pretty serious trauma as well as inflicted some very serious trauma and right you know I I mean how I'm feeling right
0: now it's kind of like if you're someone who's up for it, these films, I think th- because he's acting in it too, there's some interesting stuff to be you know, said about mm-hmm. both of those things we mentioned about him. Um, I, I don't know, just within the context of being able to see it, you know, put out there some honest emotions in a movie. It just adds mm-hmm. this whole other layer of dissection to it. Um, yeah. Again, not. I'm not saying that like like ooh, goody g. Like I'm just. <laughs> it just is what it is. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's just a a part of doing a film by him. Um. Okay. Well, I mean, I think we've covered that without you know. I, I guess you know, leave it to the the listener to decide if they want to, you know, if they want to engage in in this one. Uh, right. If you don't, by all means, like, don't Don't. (laughs) It was nice to have you. Uh, Sorry to lose you, but we understand. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, what are we talking about? The Tenant. 1976.
0: Well, we can jump in as we do with the trailer. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Here we go. As I just said from 76, The Tenant.
1: Paris. On a quiet street. in an old building. A dead
0: woman's vacant apartment is waiting, waiting for the tenant. Roman Polanski is the tenant. In Chinatown, he exposed the dark side of corruption. In Repulsion, he explored a warped mind. In Rosemary's Baby, he examined the
1: occult. Now. The Tenant, something altogether new, altogether chilling. No one does it to you like Roman Polanski.
0: The <laughs> Tenant, a Roman Polanski film
1: from Paramount Pictures. A teaser trailer. Wow. The it seven- feels like that shot was for the teaser. Yeah, I don't remember it from the movie.
0: <laughs> Which is cool. I like it when that's done. Yeah.
1: It's so wild to think that like, yeah, Chinatown and Rosemary's Baby are by the same director. <laughs> right. I
0: was just watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I love it when Leo says, director of Rosemary's Baby. So he says like, Rosemary's fucking baby living next door to him. Something
1: like that. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, man. Well, what'd you think of this one? You mean like what would I rate it per my R
0: rating system? Yeah. Well, if I just tell myself to avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it. <laughs> I mean, based on what we talked about, uh, stream it. But um, right, right, right. as far so, like, as yeah. enjoyment level and outside of all that, I'd
1: give it a rent for sure yeah I, barring that the it wasn't that all of what we talked about didn't exist which you know it di- which it does rent it
0: from uh rent it from your local video store what like we do The all the funds that's go right. to them so <laughs> i'd
1: rent it from my video <laughs> that's, store that's right i would too I, I i think it it is good enough for for that i thought a it movie
0: there was some Overall, it was very, very good. And there are some aspects in it that I thought were just great. Like as good as, you know, Rosemary's Baby, other classics. Um, That, I mean, yeah. And for such a kind of simple, I don't know, simple setup, something that maybe feels a little familiar and -hmm. like maybe things that could feel like tropes, it all felt pretty specific and original for what feeling like it was sort of could be tired territory. I don't know. It was, it was interesting how effective
1: it was in that way too. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I I enjoyed it. It didn't. It it mm, it didn't get to a buy because I think it's just shy of like some some like story details that like I'm not exactly sure even what it would be, but like Rose, it, it's a little more of a a kind of general mysterious plot rather than, like, Rosemary's Baby, which is kind of honing in on a more specific plot. Um, and do you say that as a
0: preference for what Rosemary's Baby were, was doing or simply, like, one wasn't working or this well, one wasn't I think working it, as
1: well? I think this one just doesn't be... Well, that I... Mm, that's in, How should I... Huh? it focus well maybe not i don't know it's just more general and it being a little more generalized um it felt it made me feel like there was like a little bit more that i needed in order to to get either on board or kind of get deeper into what was going on and that's it's, I think it's fine if a movie wants to be a little bit kind of vague and leave it up to you. That's, that's fine. Um, but in this one, I thought, I, I guess I kind of thought we were going to go more into a like answer and we, and we don't. We, okay. we get more of a, more of a you, you like leave it up to you to figure out.
0: Right. Okay. I mean, I think that's, At least specific enough, I get what you're talking about. And, well, all that was a strength for me. So, to each their own, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a pretty unique one, too, at that. And uh, something that, for me, differentiated it from Rosemary's Baby, which I'll put more specific later. Mm -hmm. But for Mm -hmm. now, I would love to hear our summary
1: for this (laughs) film. (laughs) Okay. Oh, man. Trelkovsky. Um, yeah. So Trilkowski is a French citizen from Poland who is looking for a place to live and you know he he how does he he just sort of shows up to look at an apartment, right? Yeah, where a bunch of Americans are living in Paris apparently. Right. <laughs> Which is interesting. But it's a cool it's a very you well maybe not unique to the area but it's very interesting looking the the owner of the property calls it a house which i thought was kind of cool but it's not it's you know it's an apartment building it's got a little courtyard and everybody kind of their windows all face inward of the courtyard and they can look into each other's windows so it's got that eerie kind of fishbowl feel um but the room that is available is open because the former tenant uh attempted suicide by jumping out the window and and, and uh, unsuccessful uh ended up in the hospital and and is recovering or trying to recover and trikovsky you know he kind of convinces the 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 owner of the building to let him stay there after some debate and some you know there's there's a lot of uh commentary on kind of like outsiders and the other and and you know xenophobia and and such um but for some reason he he is compelled to go visit the former tenant who's in the hospital and like (laughs) even though he doesn't know her at all her name is uh what is her name Simone, and um once there, he meets a friend of hers, Stella, who's played by our, our great, great love Isabel Johnny from Possession. Indeed, woo woo, and and then <laughs> Simone, who who is in really bad shape, like head to toe wrapped up, casted up, tooth missing, uh, she flips out and just starts like. scream yelling I guess you would say yep and it's very eerie and this sort of I feel like that's when the movie like takes off where it's like okay something's up and from that point on Tchaikovsky kind of just it's a downward spiral for him where he just the tenants of the other tenants of the apartment building uh along with his sort of own psyche seem to just start to spiral around each other un- and unravel. Ultimately, he believes that they are trying to drive him to kill himself and that Simone, who has since died uh, of her wounds, is trying to... Did you feel like she's trying to possess him? Is that what he believes? Or that that the... People in the building are trying to turn him into her. The more so the latter,
0: but I thought okay. like that was just a part of a greater plan to get him to
1: commit suicide or jump off the building. Right. So ultimately, the whole movie kind of becomes an exercise in what his actual reality is between what he thinks he's seen, what he believes to be true uh, and what actually is potentially true and we don't get to know really but he does get driven insane let's say I will say
0: that a few things I think are are fun to clarify here I think this one comes down definitely more as far as you know the the ambiguousness of his paranoia Mm
1: -hmm. there's
0: more clear instances of him seeing something According Correct. to the film, so it definitely versus Rosemary's Baby, which in the end is like, okay, this is real. You know, uh, this one's more on the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, but then in, I, I agree. In the end, it doesn't totally land one way or the other because of I'd say just the end ending, like the tail, the 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 the, the twist, whatever you want to call it, the capper. But yeah, it's <laughs> right, this is right. more. It, which is, I don't know. We'll get more to that. Then the other two things I mentioned. Uh, I feel like it's pretty unique to have a character like him. I mean, sure, we've seen plenty of them before, but the soft-spoken, unassuming, uh, overly polite archetype mm-hmm. character, that's who Trokovsky is and yeah, it was yeah, I think worth mentioning. And then it's not just that the other tenants are starting to get on his case as there's another force against that. Otherwise, well, it's, it's that there's a housing shortage in Paris. So he was desperate to get a place. Mm -hmm. So it's just sort of this, like what starts as an extreme, um, you know, uh, thankfulness, gratefulness for finding this place and, Oh yes, I'll do whatever I have to do sort of starts, uh, Pushing back at him, eating away at him. Of how much does he is he still able to hold on to that when it gets to the point where like by just being there,
1: you know, he's he's a threat to himself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on, and and I have I have lots of theories, I guess, <laughs> as to what what maybe was uh, the intention. But either way, it almost doesn't matter. I think that it's 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 really cool in how it's it's kind of uh, how do I say this? It feels like it's wrapped in multiple ribbons, and you're kind of the whole movie is an exercise in pulling at those ribbons to reveal something. But it's like there's ribbons underneath ribbons. I don't know. It's got a very interesting sort of feel to it.
0: There's ribbons in the story sense, in the filmmaking sense, like you said. And this is very unique for a film's Wikipedia page. I don't think I've ever seen this in any of the films we've reviewed. So there's thematic ribbons, where like officially enough, it's been discussed about under there's a themes section for this film. Oh, interesting. So for those oh, yeah. those ribbons, we have Kafka influence, then <laughs> doom cycle, loss of self, and social assimilation, Wow! then isolation and claustrophobia, then sexual deviance and repression.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah, so, <laughs> somebody wrote a term paper on this and then was like, here I come, Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Coming for you. <laughs> well, it's from all this other stuff that's been talked about it
0: by more, totally. you know, reviewers and yada, yada. So it's definitely
1: been talked about a lot. Great. Well, oh, yeah. Don't Look Now. That's in our hat, isn't it? The uh, movie Don't Look Now. Somebody, my friend was just mentioning this. It comes up a lot. You haven't seen it? I still have not seen it because it's in our hat. Is it? We'll check. I'm almost certain. I've seen anyway, it so I don't think I we put it in there but I'll it'd be fun to watch and talk about so I think I put it in there. Anyway. Great. Um cool. Yeah, let's get into some uh things this the things you know what, what worked. <laughs> <laughs> you mean in our section aptly titled what worked?
0: What what for worked, you? Worked, what
1: worked for you? you. <laughs> worked it worked you. like a charm, Smith. What? what, <laughs> what, worked. what? what worked?
0: I guess to get out of the way, things we've already said, alluded to, for me, the big one, atmosphere and world building in service of actually involving me in a film and putting me in that world to the point where like I was a little like, oh, it's, you know, it's just crosses two hours. It's a horror movie. Like, come on, what are we doing here? But it's just it's like reading a book or something you know where you just like mm-hmm. being there in a way, and it's all interesting and the 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 sort of the pacing you know that could feel maybe a little slower by modern standards. I don't even know if it's that bad, but I don't know just it all felt good being there. it felt like I could just kind of breathe and be in this world, and that's that's one of the things I look for most in the film
1: there there is something pretty amazing i i it's i don't know how to really describe this i'm not sure that it's something you can really like technically pinpoint but to what you're saying it's slow but never boring yeah and i'm like how are they accomplishing that i can and i think a big part of it is like (sighs) there's a lot of really interesting camera work in it like really really interesting but it's also a very very dark light movie right like the contrast in it is really really like you have shots that are everything is just like soaked up in darkness and then you get these sort of you know what's light is is really light and very like clear like there's v- almost zero um uh, shallow depth of field in this movie mm. everything's in focus it, it, but while everything being in is in focus 80 percent of it is in darkness right <laughs> so, so it's like it's a really weird effect and i almost wonder if some, there's something about that that keeps us kind of like like waiting for something to happen. Like we're like, we're almost drawn into that because it feels mysterious or we're feeling like we got to pay attention because we're giving almost so little visual information at times. Right? I don't know. There's I, something about it, but I found it fascinating. I think two things contributing
0: to that. One more technical and one more ephemeral. The This is similar to what we talked about with angst where the camera work is somehow feels both like rosemary's baby, of course too This is just his filmmaking like you feel the utter realism of it, yet there's also like full-on filmmaking on display of oh, yeah. dolly shots, yada yada, you know effective just classic filmmaking um and then the other the other side of that is or the other you know i said there are two things is just the there's like an inherent building of suspense that keeps your attention it yeah but it, it's really really subtle it's <laughs> yeah. um i've i've probably mentioned this before i forget who said it about one of my favorite movies of the last decade, Foxcatcher. They described it as a horror movie in slow motion. Right, right. Uh, this was very similar to that. It's not a super overt suspenseful horror movie. It doesn't get to sort of. Actually, well, it does. You know, it, it does get to the point where you know he's he's uh, afraid of. Um, you know, he the, he just got hit by the car, and the cops mm-hmm. are coming right. up. So it does build to that kind of stuff, but just throughout, I guess. I guess what I'm trying to say, the point I'm making is it just feels like this inherent, like having a sense of a build that's almost imperceptible, you know, on the Mm filmmakers' part. And And just, I don't know, I don't know, putting that in the movie somehow, just thinking in those terms, however, in all the little ways that shows up. Um, in all aspects of the filmmaking. But maybe so, maybe that's a way to put it. It's just an awareness of like the amount of suspense and the escalation of that suspense. And just like it's, it rides a really interesting line of it's there, but it's not overt. So it just is this like creeping discomfort that's really effective for this kind of psychological um, yeah. questioning of, of getting in his state and, you know, getting caught up in his paranoia
1: schizophrenia whatever it feels like lava to me it feels like we're watching lo- like molten lava like just creep its way along you know whatever like a, a a town yeah and you're just going oh you're you're so screwed like there's nothing you can do to stop it and like it's just constantly moving forward and yet, like when it when it hits something that's, you know, once it consumes something, that goes up in flames and it's sort of a, a blast of like, oh, that was, you know, that was crazy. It, you know, the tree just like got devoured and blew up into flames. But the lava doesn't care. It just keeps just slowly creeping forward. And, and I felt like <laughs> I was like just waiting for the whole thing to just get consumed. And imagine then
0: if that lava was like... Made of invisible gray
1: death. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. That gets at it's it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's a really weird and, and, and effective tone and like pace and all of those things. I mean, I think sort of what you just said really was my takeaway. I'm like, oh, we're like, I'm watching schizophrenia on film. Like I'm watching what it might, what it may be like to experience, uh, being schizophrenic, and like I'm fascinated by that, yeah, because it's totally a subjective thing, right? Like we nobody can ever know mm-hmm. what that actually is like.
0: So, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I think even
1: with- if you're experiencing it, I don't like even if you're suffering from schizophrenia, I'm not sure that you. It can really know, or you—you you certainly can't get somebody else to understand what you're experiencing. And again, speaking of this in totally layman's terms,
0: not the actual medical terminology, but just you know what the layman takes to mean by that word. Uh, I don't mean this to sound so stoner talky, but like, wasn't <laughs> everyone schizophrenic towards our uh, most accepted perceived reality?
1: <laughs> sure yeah but but we agree on it and I think that's the key especially in this movie but what about when that turns out to be wrong
0: well the, when does the, that happen uh, hey guys it turns out the earth isn't flat <laughs>
1: yeah, but, well hmm, I guess sure I don't think any there just wasn't consensus on the earth being flat was there as Ever? far as
0: I knew, that was the scientific understanding, like based on everything mm, they knew. I
1: think we were, I think we were told that at a young age that there. But I mean, I don't, come on, I don't. You buy can it. think of there's
0: it. are it's things are always changing. Like you, cigarettes are good for you. They, <laughs> sure, sure. Drink yeah. this milk, Tim. Ew! <laughs> it's good for you. Grow strong bones. <laughs> well, I never bought that one. so— <laughs> So you're schizophrenic then. No, sorry. This that's is right. getting to right. far off territory. I'm just saying it's a it's a no, weird thing to talk about of like versions of reality. And to I think that point being, I guess if I do have one that maybe I just realized, our sense of reality is so fickle and that's a hard thing to accept. Yeah. We kind of prefer to hold on to the opposite of that notion. Certitude helps us in our day-to-day lives. So I think that's that's all a big uh, gestation point reasoning for why films like this can be so effective when done well
1: yeah yeah I think a big part of what what's making this movie work too is that there's sort of this we are with him the whole time right we're never with anybody else and so we're just we're supposing that he is a reliable narrator but until we
0: aren't, when we until get the, we aren't, right, and that's done very clearly, where it's like we see he thinks someone on the street accosting him is the the apartment owner, and then but no, we see it's just some other guy who hit him in the car. That's right.
1: But because we've been set up to be on board with him from the start, when those things happen, we're on board with his explanation. Of it which is. These other people are out to get me. They're driving me insane. And I remember having this. And I think the ending actually. Sort of solidified this for me. Because I remember having this thought. When he kept kind of saying like they're doing this. But it's like. But we know he's become unreliable. I was like. What an interesting thing to. to, You know. We started the movie thinking that he was sane. But. For all we know, he's he's always been suffering from delusion. But we we just we just came into the story with this assumption that he started not delusional and and ramped into delusion. Right. Or what if he was always delusional? We don't know.
0: And I was like, oh, that's really
1: fascinating. And then the way that the end comes about makes me go even further think that maybe that's kind of that's sort of an explanation of the events in the movie now that's all kind of like nerdy trying to figure it out when there's a whole nother layer of things going on of like well maybe it's a curse <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's mystical and magical and Maybe he stepped into this like weird alternate reality where they you know by taking over her apartment, he stepped into their cult or whatever and has now been like forever cursed to this this loop that he's in
0: right I you think, know which
1: is also super cool
0: right I think the uh evidence shows that it could be. yeah, just to mention it, since it sounds always like we're talking this or that, it's some combination of both. Like maybe someone was breaking through his window because that's like takes a breaking of a window. Remember when he like, uh, then like puts a bookshelf in front of it or whatever?
1: Oh, the stabby stab, stab the hand. Yeah. But then like
0: maybe you know, because we, it seems like we get that proof he sees they're all having a big party cheering him on to jump. But then we get Seconds later, oh no, that really wasn't the case. They were all hiding inside. But so it's like maybe if that didn't happen, but the the stabby stabby still did. So there's always all that.
1: Yeah, I just love angle. this this type of storytelling in film where it's like just wor- the world is unraveling. Right. Well, it's it,
0: so fun. A specific story aspect to mention too, and I think this is another um, answer to your question about what's so you know what really hooks you about this it keeps your attention wrapped. the you see this in other things i don't know there's probably a tv tropes name for it but like the the person who died off screen at the beginning or whatever who's then kind of the thrust of the story You know, like, Mm -hmm, who was this mm -hmm. person? Are they showing up in different ways? The mystery around this person, the mystery around their life. You get the, like, the people that she knew showing up at his door. You know, we're getting her mail. It's it's just this inherent mystery that's never going to be solved. Like, even if we get some sort of answer to the supernatural side, we're never going to know this person. So... As far as, you know, a a mystery is something that sort of keeps our attention. Um, This is inherently one that will sort of always remain a mystery, but no matter what, we're just hooked, kind of just learning as much as we can
1: about her. Yeah. It's just, man, this type of watching somebody slip into, you know, paranoia and um, obsession And like and being with them as opposed to something, you know, if we if we were following along somebody else having to deal with him, that's such a different movie. Right. But being with him is it's just makes everything more intense and like creepy and eerie. And I think it it is maybe there's a a term for this kind of genre of storytelling, but. Maybe it's maybe it's Kafka esque. I, I don't know. Like, it's really cool. I think it lends itself this
0: character type that we I mentioned in the summary
1: mm-hmm. it really
0: lends itself to this kind of story too. Where, uh, in Rosemary and Rosemary's Baby, you know, it's more about like she's expected to be this submissive, like wife to stay at home kind of thing. You know, uh, from this, it's 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 the angle. It's like it's a totally different angle with a man. But still it's someone who kind of will be on the sidelines is the observer of other people will let other people walk over him, kind of thing,
1: yeah, well, there's so and so clearly this through line of like the the what it's like to be the other, in particular in his case, being of Jewish descent and walking into a world where you you just are. Looked down on, you know, like your different other every and it's and it's reinforced throughout the movie, you know, like he's he's considered a problem from the get go by like everybody he comes across essentially is like, well, what's your issue? And I think that that's sort of, you know, it's in a way speaking on that feeling uh, that it it must be because I, I can't actually speak on it myself because I am not Jewish and don't know what it's like to to walk into a world that's sort of like the room is sort of stopping and going, like turning their head at you. Like you're considered such a sort of other. And I think that that this movie is is giving us that feeling. It's like really effective in letting us go – the gaslighting sort of aspect of what, what happens when you are in that position. Like the, there's one scene that really, really solidified this notion of helplessness and which I, you know, it always drives me crazy when the woman comes in to have him sign the petition and he's never met her before. She's asking him to sign a petition about another tenant that he's never met, hasn't had any bad experiences with. And she's saying, You need to get on board with the rest of the tenants and be one of us. And if you're not, you're against us. Right. You're the problem. And he's like, But that's not at all what I'm trying to do. And she's like, You've already, well, you've made your decision. And I was like, Oh, dude, that feeling, that hits so, so hard for me. And I'm like, Damn, man. Like, well, that's imagine having that feeling in every interaction you have with other people.
0: Well, as someone, you know, who's, I can relate to being the, the kind of introvert uh, observer at heart, that, I mean, <laughs> that that is a big part of it where you feel like part of it is, is you feel like you can't, you just, everyone else is acting in some kind of level of crazy <laughs> so how are you supposed to you so everyone says be normal? You don't but you don't even know what that is. You know, so it's like that sense soup of um, I think it was a great example. I mean, that scene is a perfect example, but then where we really get it in extreme is when he goes over to his his horrible, boisterous friend who like oh, is blasting the marching music and then like the meek husband comes down and says, please turn it down for my sick wife. Excuse me. Sorry, sir. You know, is super like, yeah, um, pathetic in that sense. And he's like, why should I care? Why should I be allowed? Da, da, da. When I'm sick, he doesn't come to check up on me. You know, this total self-centeredness. But it's like yeah, that, I think, is a metaphor for, though, like how the world at large treats its problems, you know? Yeah. The, it's the sort of turning a blind eye to
1: all the world's woes, you know. Well, that argument too, which we've been experiencing of of late, the argument of, hey, we we've uh, we've come to see that there are some pretty big issues that that we weren't quite uh, aware of. We should address those, and then there's this whole other group of people goes. Well yeah but what about me? And you're like what about you? <laughs> right. You you you're not a part of I mean you're a part of the problem but like you are not suffering from this issue over here that we're trying to address. And they're like well but I I I I think I deserve to have my issues addressed and we're like that's that's okay, fine but right now we're talking about this one over here and they're mad about that because of what you're like, you said the sort of self-centeredness of it all. It's like everybody wants to be the center of the world, I guess. And if somebody else is getting attention, they get mad. I remember, do you did you have this experience when you were a kid, where like, you know, ah, what's it? How do I describe this exactly? A kid doesn't want to play with a certain toy until somebody else starts playing with it?
0: I mean, (laughs) that
1: sounds like it's common enough that I'm sure it's happened. Like, I remember feeling that thing so, or or observing that behavior as a kid so often where I'm like, you know, the second you pick up, like, I don't know, whatever, like you pick up a G.I. Joe, the other kid was totally content doing his own thing but once he saw that you are enjoying this other toy that he was not interested in he sees that you're enjoying it he wants to he wants to enjoy it now suddenly he wants to get involved in that and and that becomes a source of like conflict I feel like we're like humans, just that's just a thing they do. Yeah. It doesn't matter how old you are. You, you, we do it when we're little, we, people do it until the day they die. It's a weird thing.
0: Well, can you, um, I mean, can you put that in the lens of this film? Because I feel like his, I said that quickly, put that in the lens of this film because I feel like this, our protagonist here, doesn't strike me as one of those people. I think that's the interesting thing about having an introvert, uh, soft-spoken person as the protagonist is because they're an observer
1: to all that craziness. So, yes. My, I feel like the movie is, he is the kid who picked up the toy first and is just minding his own goddamn business. But the fact that he just happens to like have occupied that space... Now everybody else wants to focus on him, and they want to like involve themselves with him. And now it's it may be that that's them that that's in his head, but which is cool. But if it's to the
0: extent where their end game is killing him, then it's 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 interesting, weird thing to sort of frame it now in terms of a a theme about loss of identity. Mm -hmm. Uh, That they. He, when he's only being acknowledged and having a sense of identity, is what is then leading to his death—an ultimate loss of identity. Uh, Does that make any sense? Does this
1: word? Yeah, but it's it's not the identity that he chose. That's he's constantly having that fight, whether or not the source is internal or external. He's still having the conflict of being like, no, I'm. I'm this person. I'm not Simone. And he has to, he, he's having that battle. We just, I think what's brilliant about the movie is that we don't get to know whether or not it's internal or external. Right. Yeah. Well, Um. I'm thinking more just that,
0: uh, examples of how to talk about the specific theme, uh, loss of identity. And like what we were just saying, the big braggadocia guy who's, um, <laughs> blasting his yeah. music. It's, And it's like, remember what he's saying, what, um, what Tchaikovsky points out. He's like, isn't it even a a little loud for just for us? And then he coaxes him. He says, no, come on, you aren't in your apartment, you know, just enjoy being able to listen to loud music. And then (laughs) Tchaikovsky, he does kind of, he's like, yeah, I never get to hear loud music. And he starts to get (laughs) into it until the door knock happens. Um, but that's like seeing him go to the place that we want to go. Of We want to see someone like that be a little what we might call self-centered that come naturally for someone like that friend of his. And like uh, a, th- uh, a scene that I thought got into this really interestingly as one of my favorite moments was when he's robbed and it's sort of, I guess, more in the middle of the movie. So we've mm-hmm. already had this buildup of Where every time, or he throws that party at the beginning that's just a get together. And yeah, they're being up till 1 a.m., but he had no idea how thin the walls and floors were. So, you know, yeah, fine. Neighbors complained. Great. But then it gets to be where, oh, you know, shoes. You got to take your shoes off uh, after 10 p.m. That's what the previous tenant did. It really, you know, it's like they're sort of compounding these rules on top of him. Yes, it's getting worse and worse. Oh, oh, okay, yes, sir. You know, he he is putting his own needs and just being able to like walk across the floor with whatever he wants on his feet. He started um, so then it finally like reach its pinnacle after he's robbed. He so it's the stress of that. Then like as soon as he kind of like drops something on the floor and is taking in how his place has been robbed makes a noise someone pounds on the door the the, the ceiling and he is like I'm sorry for ex-. he doesn't say this but it's basically like I'm sorry for existing he's like
1: yes right, right. I
0: know I'm sorry I made a noise Jesus Christ I was just robbed is essentially he just finally just lets it out but you can see that that underpinning that I'm getting at from that kind of uh, character or person's point where they really are just yelling out sorry for existing like
1: right this is actually this is really fascinating to me because I, I I don't think I would have been able to arrive at this without kind of having this discussion and kind of looking at some of these themes that are are stated here what's what seems to kind of be going on is he doesn't matter to the world he's in like all that matters to them is what they've assigned already they being like the other people in the building in this example so because it keeps happening where he had a party one time but he keeps getting blamed for making loud noise, and like they they're telling him like last night again you kept us up all night and he's like i don't i didn't do anything it's his loss of self is is sort of pushed through everybody else's certitude of these things so he's he starts to fade away as like being uh, himself i guess or Yeah, being himself because they're just assigning rules that they – like they're stuck in, that the person who lives in that apartment – always does these things, and even when he doesn't do those things. So he has absolutely – he loses agency throughout the movie. And I think that's what sort of we watch with like the struggle that he individually goes through is that he's trying to retain or regain some agency. But the building is basically saying, no, 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 no. Here's what happens when you live in this apartment. You're loud. You have parties. You – you have women over or you are. It doesn't even matter. It's like they just assign an identity that is he has no control over to him. And therefore, by doing that, he loses his own identity throughout. And that's he can't be himself. That's what's literally he's going through in the story of, oh,
0: no, I don't want her cigarettes from the the cafe. I don't want her exact drink she
1: orders. That's right. But yeah, exactly. Everybody is just they're just locked into this one mode and he doesn't have a say.
0: Well, and it's interesting because it's without him, like, look how it builds. Like, that's not, shouldn't be something to be paranoid about is just, so they, he tries the the hot chocolate like she used to always drink the first time. So he's, and he liked it. So he just keeps serving it to her. They just haven't bothered to buy his brand of cigarettes. So they offer her, her brand. But then now you wrap that up with the paranoia of his greater situation. All of a sudden, that becomes that threat to his identity like it never should be if he had just sort of spoken up maybe as soon as he wanted to versus just sort of going along for convenience. And where that really reaches a pinnacle is this was one of my favorite moments just because of how honestly horrifying it was, but I think how appropriate it was for this film and this character, or just settled and did a lot, when he full-on hits a crying kid. Oh, my God, yes. Right. Like, talking about then, oh, God, what did you just say? It was an assertion of something, or I forget, but it's an example of something like that that you are saying. Uh, I just I love, love a, like this... After being repressed a certain way of
1: finally right. just letting a, a something out. That's right. That's right. That's this that yeah, that's so interesting, because it is this version of repression, because it's like, we experience what he's going through all of, on certain levels all the time. Um, and in some some for some people's experience, it's really acute, right? Like, if you grow up in a family or a community that has really strict dogmatic rules, you, you know, you have to do those things right like that's this notion of like asking why is is almost like the worst thing you can do because you you have to go along with it because that's just how it's done right that notion of like that's just how it's done you got to keep going on and that that sort of ah uh, that idea is really terrifying to me because I don't prescribe to that i' I didn't grow up in a world that that forced you into these lanes of like, well, you do it that way because that's just how it's done, but that is the world, Tim
0: like I told my example like of how I realized that when asking, why do I have to go to the school?
1: You know it's you went had to go to school, you weren't given a choice well, that's my point is that there's varying degrees of that and often we think that we're free of it and we're still not and i think that's this is sort of honing in on that and being like just so you know like no matter what we're still at the mercy of that at on some level you know like like i didn't have i didn't get it from my family like in a really like I guess what I'm saying is I didn't get it in a really defined way with like certain very like clear rules, but they, it still exists, right? Like there's a moral sort of code that I was, that my parents like imbued onto me. And so, you know, where you decide to like, where you blur the lines of what is where you have agency to break out of those things and where you, you blindly follow them and where You have no agency, like whatever, wherever you land, those things are going on. And to think about that is really scary. Right. Wait, sorry, I missed it. Did you
0: draw a link from there about specifically like hitting the kid? Was there something?
1: Well, what I'm saying is it seems like his character and the kid is a good example of him getting you know riding the wave of it it's almost like it's overtaking him like my my kind of take on that moment was that he was really falling into so like being simone and i was like whoa like he's he's crossed over all of a sudden like he had this moment where he's no longer himself he's behaving like a totally different person and my assumption was that maybe that person is simone because of the way mm. that he scolded the kid i could see that i think it it's it seems more like it is just the
0: you know when you if if you're a, a oppressed person and you think that's building in some way that that's just a feeling of i i, I don't know it's like Agency, maybe I think that's the word you used earlier. And specifically Mm -hmm. with the example of the kid, it's a crying kid, and he's like, "Oh, my boat! I want is is over there, and I want it." And that I think he just is viewing as like pure selfishness. This kid is totally unaware. You know, he's starting. He's viewing that kid as his annoying friend playing loud music. Mm -hmm. You, You know, it's or they're they're kind of similar in that sense. You should say of just sort of selfishness. But of course, yeah. he's looking at it without the reality that it's a kid. But <laughs> it's 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 some sort of you know like what's what's been building this whole time. He's just sort of been taking the sidelines.
1: Yeah, I mean it's really interesting because it's really undefined, and yet like we're getting these broad sort of thematic things like. I think that's what I meant earlier when I said there's this sort of general, generalized thing going on, but I can't really put my finger on it to say, oh, it's this. Well, if I had,
0: at least last night when thinking about it, a sort of grand theme for this all that is at least grand in the sense where it feels most tied to, let's say, like, what horror is this specifically about? Of course it's about all these things, but for whatever reason, this one was just jumping out to me a lot as the biggest because it's let's say it's um about a mutual like mistrust, I guess. And how, you know, that can also be selfishness, is maybe the other side of that, which we've talked about. But it's like a mutual mistrust, I think. You know, think of it in terms of him and the other tenants and the building owner, and this sort of cycle that then uh, is perpetuated, leading to his suicide. It's <laughs> how do I put this? Like um, a mutual mistrust, where like that. Okay, I think, I think on this is this is like a big. I don't know how put how big this is. Sorry, thanks for bearing with me. Like it's a big leap of faith to say to be the first one in any situation to fully give your trust, and I think that's largely where we're at in the world when you talk about you know sort of or even just in the, the terms of this movie of just yeah, but what about me? Yeah, but what about me? It's this. That to me sounds like, but you first have to show your trust for me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Almost acceptance. So, so it's just that. But but when you have this inherent mistrust happening on two sides, that just I I can see how that just spirals into paranoia because you're you're never. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I felt, I felt like I had a better way to put
1: it or more to put on it, but you kind of get what I'm getting at. I think so. I mean, it makes me think about, you know, kind of that that scene again of of the, the woman with the petition where it's like the power of fitting in with the group and that how that is in direct sort of conflict with the individual, like having any sort of, stance like the the supposition is that they're they're inherently at odds and they don't have to be yeah right but the group is such a powerful th- concept just as a thing right like you feel safer in a group a lot of the time people kind of to what you were just saying like oftentimes people will go along with the group blindly for the sake of this the ease that the group offers or that gr- it's this- that groundingness of a, a reality at least exactly and so that i don't know i mean there's just something in that that i i mean you can expand that to so many things too um and i feel like i mean i'm looking at this thing right here like this seems to be a fairly common kind of thing going on in his movies where it's like being put in a position to play both sides or to like have to choose a side is kind of a constant theme in a lot of his films. Mm -hmm. And that conflict within, it's like, again, we're being told that there, that you got to choose one or the other, but it's like you, you could do, you can do both and you shouldn't be criticized or you could choose you could not go along with the group, and that should be okay, <laughs> but oftentimes it's not. It's like, oh well, shit, yeah now it, like by saying you're not part of the group, you're you're saying something else when you're not at all. you're right. just like and even that then means that you can't have your own identity, right right you the group is deciding based on your choice what your new identity is. Or how you define your new identity. And it's like, well, what if I just don't want to participate in any of this? They're like, well, you don't get to not participate. We've decided as a group. (laughs) So that's scary, man. Yeah. I think we see that a lot in in the world. I agree. And I think that's why a lot of people are so, you know, they continue on with the group out of like fear of, you know, ostracization or like whatever fear of just being like. Attacked for for not going along with things. I mean, I've experienced that. A hundred percent, I've experienced that. Where I've been the one kid in the group who is like, actually, guys, I don't think we should do this. It it it's not a good idea. And everybody turns on you immediately. They're like, oh well, what are you? You know, you're just being a you know a boy scout or a pussy or whatever the fuck you know. And they hammer you for it. And then you're screwed. You're out of the group. And that that social death is hard right and then that's when they start cheering you on to jump out of the building (laughs) right yes i mean really right like it's it's really cool because i feel like this movie is kind of saying it's showing us that it doesn't matter if it's in his head that it exists almost regardless It, it and it doesn't matter which reality you choose as the actual reality it's like these things are all in us regardless
0: right where as soon as his neighbor trying to get the signature goes oh i guess you're not one of us essentially like that is on the same spectrum of them cheering for him to jump off the building it's you know not one of us but not one of us not one of us you know
1: (laughs) right yeah i don't know i find all this it's hard to kind of articulate because it's it's good. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's interesting and and complicated. I loved, but I loved, 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 loved him. Not only does he jump
0: out of the building, he, when he jumps out of the building the second time, I thought that was <laughs> know, so good. It's like, he's, it's essentially already dying, but survives, like crawls up the staircase. We're kind of like, oh, where is he? What is it? And we see him appear at the window again. It's just, Something great about that. Like the uh, the it's, abuse, the intention, it it came down to more than a single
1: decision in a moment. It was a, yeah, there was conviction there. It's back to that thing of we are constantly being told that we have to be a certain way. And so he's like, I have to fulfill this. Mm-hmm. It didn't work the first time. Got to go back and do it again. Like he's telling them that that they've, They've made the decision of what has to be the ending of this. Do you think
0: it's as it's tricky? Is it is that act of him jumping out an acquiescence to their ultimate plan? Or is it motivated by his decision to choose some sort of independence once and for all? I guess it's not. Maybe that's not a question because they are cheering him to jump. Never mind.
1: I, I, I feel like it it came across to me as a as a sort of last desperate like what would it be is it cynicism in a way Mm -hmm. of him being like if this is what you want then fine i'll give it to you and make you watch it Mm. but they want to watch it i know which is so that's why i think it's so messed up is that he's down that rabbit hole so far that he he feels like he has no other option, and so therefore he has to follow through with it, not to appease them, but almost like in in like protest of them, it's really weird. It's almost like reverse trolling, but
0: I don't know. I think it's I think it's more he is the read of. He's just totally gone at that point because think of it as if when he's painting his nails red and then kind of you know, just kind of it's as if he's on autopilot is the sense that we get so i think like that is just you know him jumping out is an escalation of that he's just as far as yeah again loss of identity he somehow is just totally taken over by this this
1: force of others will yeah yeah it's really interesting i don't know I'm not sure what to think i I just read this thing here that I find really fascinating too this because so, I kept wondering what's going on with the Egyptian stuff. There's like the mummy thing and the hieroglyphs, and well
0: Simone was in Egypt or something or had just gotten back from Egypt or something
1: yeah, she gets the postcard from Egypt, so there's this recurring thing and it says right here, um oops. Um ancient Egyptian religious belief was based on the notion that all things are the same all throughout history. Um and it says like everything has happened before and will happen again. Um but also it's all happening at the same time always. So there's this sort of like it's almost anti-identity, anti-individual identity in a way, I I think is maybe a way to put it, that we're, no matter who we are individually, we're all repeating these same things over and over and over again.
0: I mean, that's sounding like that. I forget which um, spiritual uh, system it's a part of, but the idea we're, we're, you know, we live many lives, and each life we may or may not uh, work through our, our 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 I don't know our healing or
1: our our sort of something or other, our calling. Oh, I'm mis I'm misstating this. Let me say it again to be more clear. Okay, let me just read exactly what this says. Ancient Egyptian religious belief it is important to note, was based on the notion that all things are the same all throughout history, not the same as Hinduism's conception that everything has happened before and will happen again, but more the belief that everything is always happening. Sorry if that was unclear before. So but everything if ev- is always happening. If everything
0: is always happening, then wouldn't that make the other outlook true also? I, fe-
1: I feel like it would. <laughs> Too. <laughs> yeah. so this is where it's, get, it's, it's get, getting confusing but is that is oh, that just man. give you food for
0: thought about this, this story well
1: it just makes me think that so like what are the you know sort of what does that imply in this movie and like it's, it's clearly like drawing some connection to that especially with the ending that he now is in place so he carries out Exactly what Simone theoretically carries out, carried out. I love the ending, and by the, a, the way. I did not see that twist coming. No. Me neither.
0: <laughs> so what are we saying? Well, uh, what we are saying, the ending, we hope you watched it. But uh, he finds where we, we... When he's now all wrapped up after jumping out of the windows, the window twice, he... Uh, He's the one in bandages, just like he saw Simone at the beginning, and he sees himself and Stella approach and basically repeat the scene from
1: um, her perspective. Yeah, it's that. Right. That makes sense. This isn't. <laughs> it's, it's not the first time that that type of thing has happened in the movie, because when he finally does use the the common bathroom and sees the walls are covered in hieroglyphs. He looks out the window and sees himself in his apartment looking back right, at him. Right. Right. So there is there's something to that 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 I, I'm not sure how to even like, <laughs> how to articulate what like what are what are we saying here? Um.
0: That like that. I think. That, I mean, for me, it, it elicits this fear of the sense of. We all have things that are hard for us to do or we aspire to be that are, or do that are hard for us, right? A way of being. And to not be doing those is, can feel like a sense of being trapped. I mean, I just sort of, I was just sort of, yeah, getting more out of it, just that, that sense of repetition, being trapped, never getting out of a place. Because he clearly doesn't go, he doesn't self actualize as a person and then escape this situation, it's it's the opposite of that, right? He, he doesn't write about when he's starting to think of moving town as moving out is when he gets the worst, his paranoia. So it was more just anything that was a sort of compounding on that sense of, I can't escape this thing, even though... Just because like even things that we want to do, it's it, like it is on us. But yet for some reason, you know, because our flight, fight fighter, flight instincts are all messed up as if we're going to die from like doing, saying something that's difficult to say to someone, you know, <laughs> it's yes. like that that's what I get out of it as far as um, being cursed to relive, relive something and trapped and all that, yada, yada.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the very least, it just evokes that that feeling of the hamster wheel. Like, we're just, we're just going through the same stuff every day, just repeating the same stuff. Like, I used to work in—when I worked in a bar, there were points when I was like, I have, like, scooped ice the exact—like, a million times. I just—that's like—it felt like that's all I did is scoop ice, like, my whole— identity was just scooping (laughs) fucking ice over and over and over i was like i'm gonna lose my mind like i can't do this anymore right like you get into these habits and you get we get told that it that like there's some sort of like nobility in like the work and i'm like we're literally just being a a cog in the wheel right like we're we're doing the metropolis thing we're just we're just repeating the same motion over and, and so over. so imagine
0: and over. it is just like the, the the Tim version of this movie and that scene just you know stripped down to its, its essence where the Tim scooping ice gets off work puts the scooper down and immediately like the other Tim walks in and starts scooping again. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it'd be like it, it there was a period in my life that was me getting up at noon or one in the afternoon, getting like drinking a bunch of water because I was like, you know, had been drinking the night before or smoking cigarettes or sucking in secondhand smoke from the patrons of the bar. So I was like, slowly dying. I'd go down to the bodega, I'd get something to eat, I'd go get on the the subway, go to work, open work, be there for twelve hours and so I'd open at four, close at four, get out by six AM, go home, fall asleep, get up. I did that routine for like a year and a half straight. And there was no variation in it. It's like that's all I did. Right. And I really felt like I had was losing my mind.
0: Well that that I think is the thing. That is the plight to, I think work through as a human and when we're all on our good days, I feel like it is a certain I don't know it doesn't have to be a conscious acknowledgement of that, but we all know when we're having a good day, it's because we are truly present, right And I think in a sort of more you know a thinking about it sense if it's outside just a when it happens instinctually on a good day or whatever it's. It's working through that kind of psychosis of just our reality, you know, of of <laughs> just like how you know these these different um outlooks or religions you you pointed out, are feel like they're straying the straight up. Straight up, this is how reality operates. Whether it's we are the same moments, all moments are existing simultaneously, or all moments are repeating, or whatever it is. I mean, whether it is you're just doing. The weather's changing, maybe your job's changing, maybe not. We do have this sense of, like, life is just a Groundhog Day, right?
1: Right, right. And yeah. so
0: I think... So to, to accept that and tune into that is like, well, it's like the end of Groundhog Day is when Phil finally is making the best he can of every moment. And where we see so clearly in this film him not doing that, like, there's a... Like he's he's with this gorgeous, wonderful woman who's totally into him, right? And right, and she's he, like really nice to yet him. Yet he's yet for some reason he's still treating his life as I have to drink away my miseries. He's too drunk to start any kind of courtship with her. He's too yeah. caught up in his own you know psychosis to to try to make something work with this woman or you know whatever. Enjoy each other's yeah, company. Yeah, you know.
1: That definitely made me think at one point if this was sort of felt feeling kind of allegorical to like getting wrapped up in your own despair and just like spiraling. That's why I of that the ribbon analogy or whatever. It's like you're so focused on uncovering the next ribbon that you don't realize that like it none of that matters like look up from that and actually just like take in what's around you right which and like you're he's just so i mean that's where the paranoia and the obsession is so wrapped up in this thing that he can't even see like the the other things that might be nice in his life
0: yeah and i mean where he sees like you can see when he hits the kid, he's hitting himself in that sense. This kid is too caught up. Yeah, the kid's in, missing the tooth, right? Or the kid's—it's very much right, himself, right? I want the boat. You know, he's missing. He—he's just a version of Tchaikovsky. But then right. you get that where, let's say, then he has that instinct to to be if if what feels like being selfish is a form of self-actualization. You know, like where he tries to get on board with doing the selfish thing of playing and enjoying the music loudly, but that instantly backfires. It's just like, he's not getting any support for maybe, um, what could be helpful for him. You know, it's, it's like, as soon as maybe you make a step in doing something in a healthy direction for yourself, you get evidence that that's not, uh, you know, quote unquote evidence that maybe you should, uh,
1: you're going to receive, know oh, that's not the best thing or whatever. But it's so true. It's so true in real life, too, because like we've all had that experience where we've been like, you know what? I'd like to change some things up for my own betterment. And there's always people around us who are like shooting it down or saying, well, here's why that's not a good idea. And because it's a threat to them, like change is a threat to people, (laughs) right? especially people close to you. They're like, wait a minute. I don't want you to like actually improve yourself because then I won't continue to have the the safety of the person that I've defined you as. Well I think too that it also
0: as far as that that you know life is a, a loop every day is a loop that I mean and just thinking of what you exactly said, how that can be applied to making changes, making healthy habits in our own life. Like it can be hard to commit to let's just say like working out or eating right because And that's why they say in order to do that, don't worry about, you know, working out every day. Worry about working out or eating a good meal today, you know, because that's the scary thing. And I remember that from like when I was, I mean, it's a great, a great example for this. You know, we got into our motel hell episode. I talked about moving to a full plant-based diet where it was like, I remember before that the horror for me was, oh God, but that means I wouldn't be eating this you know animal again eating this thing again for the rest of my life you (laughs) know and that's a lot (laughs) to take it it could be you know look at that way with commitment with relationships you know it appears we all have our version of that where it's just like to the thought of making change is somehow an acknowledgement of our mortality you know it is this
1: internal unconscious way yeah like Tchaikovsky could have just moved out like he could have just moved out <laughs> right but he's so
0: but I'm such a polite person and I gotta be so mm-hmm. thankful and where am I gonna go da, 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 da. I mean that's sort of a different thing that's just like the all the what ifs you know the just being obsessed with the potentialities of what could go wrong Yeah, which is another form of like foreseeing into the non-existent future ad
1: nauseum right what did you think of uh, Shelley Winters great <laughs> she is great I used to I, I took classes I can't remember who it was but I took classes who was mentored by her I think it was this guy Ted Zerkowski from New York and I'm pretty sure he was the one who had these anecdotes about her and he was like man she was just cutthroat like if you were in her class you be, you better be prepared because <laughs> she would just destroy you
0: and did you uh, Always kind of. I wish I'd met her Did you hard write to her because we were trapped in our own
1: existence? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. No, she's great. Um, I I think there's a few other fun things to point out about this film. Totally. Totally. Um,
0: (laughs) It's just just like, you know, case in point what just happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved like the specificities of what he was seeing in his hallucinations i guess when it gets to like one of them has kind of like a goblin face or something so like that oh my god it was incredible
1: the mr z yeah monsieur z he after uh trikovsky has been hit by the car the 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 husband of the husband wife who hit him with the car they you know he looks up and they they are no longer those two people, but they're now Monsieur Z and uh, Madame Dios, who's Joe Van Fleet, who's a really great actress as well. Um, but Monsieur Z's lapel on his trench coat has turned into like bat yeah, wings.
0: Yeah, I love that,
1: dude. That was incredible, and it's for like. It's so short. It's just this very fast little, maybe, I don't know, a few frames worth of 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 seeing that. I was like, damn, that is sly, sly little costuming. Oh, it was stuff. yeah,
0: no, it had the effect of it was just enough to where as soon as it happened, I was like, wait, I just saw that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How fun. Um I'd love too the ball bouncing outside that turns into oh my God. his decapitated head bouncing yeah they didn't even have to go as far as the decapitated head and I was already loving it just the effect of a ball yeah. going up that high and the strain yeah, it was it, really eerie. it's like taking something that's normal but then just making it not just enough in a certain direction to make it not but then of course as soon as it turns into his head well that's
1: that's hey that's great too I sing on the cake you know, it makes me realize that a lot of why I, I think I like the vibe of this is that they're doing things that we experience in dreams where like they're messing with the like <laughs> the physics or the, the like logic of of things. For example, like there's a there's a shot where he's standing in his doorway of his of his apartment and he looks to the left and from that point perspective, there's two doors down on each side and a door at the end of the hallway and that's the end of the hallway. and we see that it's a really clear shot and he that's when he goes up to it and he's gonna put the postcard under the the doormat of that door. A f- I don't know 20 minutes later we see him standing in the exact same spot and there's a stairwell at the end of the hallway there now. Like, the 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 actual spatial reality of the set has been changed. When that... And I think it's that dream stuff. Right. Kubrick does stuff like that, right? Or did stuff like that. This
0: was more overt, though, you know, than... Oh, I think. yeah. And I, Tim, that that was one of those moments I'm talking about, you know, and the other ones I mentioned where I'm like, this film's doing great stuff. When to have that, yeah, exactly. It's like there's a staircase on the right, but it then they... I guess, built a just sort of non-essential kind of almost Escher-like staircase that's just sort of coming up and over that he has to walk under. And then that's after, too. They added, like, a slight incline on the floor that feels like it shouldn't be there. (laughs) And it's that just captured that feel when... I'm I'm kind of obsessed with that. You know, I'm always going on anything dreamlike and it's also why I, I shouted out his other movie Repulsion gets into stuff like that where the physical right. space is being adjusted when you can do something that is totally like a clear real life set construction, you know, instance to choice. And then just to have it play as the, the effect it's supposed to elicit of just, oh my God, yeah, in a nightmare is
1: what this feels like. Ah, God, yeah, it's the yeah. coolest thing. Yeah, and like, I guess, the, you know, probably one of the most overt ones that like non, non-subtle at all is is the the audience, how the apartments turn into like box seats at the opera, you know, and and they're all sitting there waiting to to watch oh him god. jump out Th- the window that long I mean that take, one is
0: it's so good they're all cheering so him good.
1: on oh my god yeah it's wild they do some crazy i mean there's so many good camera things too like just, sh- just switching the lens so like whenever we're looking out of his window at the bathroom mm-hmm. we're on i i would yeah i would say we're on a wider sort of i don't know maybe a maybe in the 20s or something like that millimeter lens. So the the bathroom seems, you know, seems pretty far away. Like the courtyard seems kind of like there's a good amount of distance between his window and the bathroom window. But when he's... In the bathroom, they put a much longer lens on and like they compress the space. So like his window looks like it is like four feet from the bathroom. I mean, it's he's right there. So little things like that just distorting our sense of space and reality is it's just incredibly effective.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. It's like everything we've been talking about questioning reality, blah, blah, blah. But in a physical, like indisputable sense or, you know, at least. Yeah, and just the sense of looking at something right there versus like what is also great in this film is the stuff like the tooth in the hole. Just as a, <laughs> how about, you know, something that's throws off your sense of just, you know, unanswerable questions, what the heck is going on? This is so weird, but all because of something that's an off-screen suggestion. It's the opposite, right. you know.
1: Well, and here's, I mean, here's another one. He wakes up with his tooth having been pulled, but two scenes later, two scenes later, he <laughs> has his tooth back in his mouth. Mm. What happened? Mm. Are we, like, we're just left to decide what we think. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um. I mean, I just love stuff like that, where it's like you just, you're just eroding what could be actual reality.
0: This, uh... It's another moment I really wanted to shout out. I don't mean to just go all the way back to our identity themes, but this is a really fun um, illustration of some more of that. I just loved it so much when you had the the tenants outside, at least him seeing it, thinking he's seeing it, uh, going after, like group ganging up on the little girl of the woman that they don't like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the other tenant there. Mm-hmm. And they get her to like put on this little witch uniform or something. It's like a little like it looks like something out of Midsummer almost. It's like yeah. this weird, looks like ritual, like uh, all part of some ritual. Yeah, yeah, put this, red robe. Yeah, type thing. put on this mask and cape. But anyway, the I mean that was all great enough. But you know, the, the girl's horrified when she's. When leading up to it, but as soon as they get her into the costume, she joins in. She takes the role of them immediately, which is you know just a, a, a micro example of what's going on with Tchaikovsky, The whole movie, really, yeah,
1: yeah. It's like just be one of us. Right. It, it's so just horrifying.
0: All it took was just you know her getting behind the cloak and
1: mask, and then yeah, she's just so turned. freaky. Yeah, I love them. <laughs> I love the moment when he has taken refuge in um, Stella's apartment because he's he's really like hit sort of a breaking point and he's like, I, can I stay with you? And <laughs> when he wakes up in the morning and I, I presume she had called a doctor to check in on him, but he sees that doctor as Monsieur Z. And he blows her apartment apart I and I'm th- I felt I felt upset because I was like oh man she's gonna be really mad like you really like you've really messed up <laughs> you dude. really yeah I was like I don't I don't really want to see that scene like I don't want to see the like the aftermath of, of him doing that and we never do Though it felt we never come back around the
0: horribleness of the situation of of yeah of not only just doing this to this poor woman, but it was like she was his only hope. See, talk about, that's a great example I was getting at with the trust theme. She's Mm. a great example of she's just totally willing to fully trust this person, right? An example of that, um, and I don't have anything more than that, I don't know, but there, there, there you go as far as showing characters on different sides and what could happen when
1: you do that. Well, it's cool, too, because, like, so really there's there's two groups in this movie that I think are kind of, you know, two sides of the same coin. His work friends and the, the building tenants, they're all kind of the same. They're just they're occupying, you know, the other side of the coin. But but they're they're vaguely reflects reflections of each other but she really stands out as this like other thing where she's sort of like almost the, the only touchstone of like kindness and some of these just general sort of traditionally feminine qualities or or yeah feminine qualities i don't mean gender wise but i mean in in the sort of broader medical metaphorical sense um She's accommodating, she's kind, she's sort of um, nurturing those things. Everybody else kind of sucks, like they're kind of the worst. The cops are all kind of a mess. He gets hammered by that one cop about like, He's like, I've already gotten all these complaints about you. You better watch out. It's like, what is going on, man? Jesus. Right. It's like all from his
0: point of view, we're feeling him. All I did
1: ever was exist. You know, is sort of like, is that a sin? Even the hospital, when he initially goes to the hospital, they're like weirdly combative with him, even though they accommodate him. But they're like, who are you? (laughs) It's like, Jesus, calm down. Just... I mean this is tied back, back back
0: way to where we first started as far as this the the sense of world building and pacing just the fact that we like had that scene where he uh after meeting her and her friends at the cafe they like go back to the one guy's place he's staying and mm, just have mm-hmm. that little bit of soirée and they dance together just to take the time to like have those two scenes just getting a sense of just what Paris was like at the time, what another mm, house yeah. is like, just all the totally outside of all the theme story stuff we're talking about. When a movie can afford some time to do that kind of thing and still have it then tie into all this other stuff, it's it's great. I
1: enjoyed it. That That's a really, really important sequence, subtly important sequence to the, like kind of the broad points of the movie or the broad themes of the movie. In that sequence... She invites him into the group, like unquestionably. She, she The s- instant she sees him, she's like, hey, so good to see you. Join us. The group is a bit standoffish. They do these close-up, almost canted sort of like wide lens, like almost distorted close-ups of each of the other people in the group. And they have all got a kind of not great look on their face. Then they go to this apartment of one of those guys And that guy, you know, he says this is a really nice apartment and the guy goes, oh, well, it's not mine. It's my brother's but he lets me – he sort of expresses this like he's benefiting from this like um, just by being related to somebody who has a lot of money. He gets advantage through that and he gets to live in this really, really big, ornate, nice, beautiful place that is maybe the exact opposite of the the little tiny non-bathroomed apartment that he, that Tchaikovsky has to live in. So it's a really, it's a really good setup. And then we see uh, Stella effectively turn down one of those guys in the group to let him in so that she can dance with him. And that exchange... Sort of like solidifies her as like a safe place for him where she's saying, no, no, no. Like you're with me. All of this other stuff is extra. I I don't actually like they're my friends or whatever. And like this isn't really commented on. It's just sort of visually commented on. But like we get this sense of of her throughout that. And we get the sense of the difference between him and those people. So he really, she is the only person in this movie who is like, I actually can, I see you. Right. Like everybody else is sort of stands outside of him, and that or he stands outside of them
0: goes a long way as someone who, you know, isn't, doesn't feel seen as the, the introvert observer, right? you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting stuff. Anyway, that's about all I have. Me too, Tim. Okay. <laughs> With that, should we move on
0: to our next section? Yes, let's. What did not work? It's not ready yet.
1: Seems to work okay.
0: No, something important's missing.
1: What did not work? (laughs) I'll tell you what didn't work for me. When he has to clean up his place after that party and he's dropping garbage along the stairwell the whole time it there's I just I it triggered me I don't know why I was like just just put stop trying to carry all of the garbage down in in one go right make two trips man and it was just make two trips it, and in, but then he comes back and it's all cleaned up it really freaked me out
0: I was about to say just to Make our uh, what did not work (laughs) section just be more that did work. Yeah, the fact it was all cleaned (laughs) up afterwards. That was something I forgot to mention. That was a great moment. And just to say, uh, no, I'll save this for uh, our next section. The only thing I had, I don't know. I mean, at one point, you know, it was more before I watched it. It was like, oh, is this a little long? No, it's when watching it, it feels great. Uh, There's some unfortunate ADR um, moments, but well, yeah. I mean yeah. that that is what it is, and it's it's not prevalent, or it's not. Yeah, no. it's not throughout the film, but there's some. It's it happens, you know, a handful of times. But that's a, a technical thing. So do with that what you will.
1: Yeah, it's weird. It's again one of these movies where I don't really there nothing wasn't nothing was not working for for me. Um. In the movie. <laughs> <laughs> All the things we discussed at the top of the episode were really the things that weren't working right, for Right, what
0: didn't work for us, Roman Polanski.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, so I don't really have anything. Well, I guess the thing I said <laughs> where I was like, I want more of an answer, but even that's not really what I want at the end of the day. Like, I just thought in a way it's a thing that works because it's like i wanted more so it's not it's yeah i mean what what else can you criticize i don't know
0: well then nothing and we can just move on to our next section okay <laughs> all right here we go things of note,
1: things of note. <sighs> this should be interesting
0: I mean, this is partly a just a what worked, but maybe is on also, you know, things of no interesting, uh, pointed out at the beginning how it, it justifies itself in that it's not just a Rosemary's baby as far as, like I said, being full on the spectrum of it's real by the end, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was a, a really interesting take on this going paranoid story where it's uh, a more complicated relationship we have with his paranoia and trusting him as a source that leans mostly on the side of he is paranoid. Hmm, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's interesting.
0: And uh, I guess also maybe this is could put more in the, the interestingness things of note rather than just a what worked. But like I was saying too, where you were saying maybe it was you know, you let you were wanting some kind of more, you know, something or or answer, or I don't know. I thought that by going with however it was going with however it did it, then that allowed me to feel like I was watching it at the end. Ah, it's all about our mistrust of others, you know, and I was just able to then view it through that lens entirely but then right. you could do that with all the other the other lenses and or ribbons as you put it yes. that we yes. that we that we took off and p- put exactly. back on so and that too not as only that that interesting but and this is more yeah i guess more in just line of what worked but um it does get at a certain p- pretty powerful fear you know when you don't anytime you can you know, not go with, oh, it was, they were, they were cult people. They put a spell on them. You know, anytime you can avoid any kind of explanation and still have it work. I think that, I don't know. I don't want to say it always allows for (laughs) a deeper thing. You know, I think Rosemary's Baby and Red Cherry, any, you know, you can do that great, of course. And it is great, but it's something different. It's just a different kind of curdling fear. I don't, I don't know.
1: I think it points more to the the fear inherent in being human because, you know, if you like leaving it open ended like this allows us to say, not only are we experiencing his, you know, psychosis or whatever you want to call it. But the implication is that everybody else is at the mercy of these horrors, too, in the movie. It's the horror of the human condition, not just (laughs) horror of ghosts. Right. And in this one in particular, there is a little bit of a nod and a wink from the other characters. Like, they are kind of being like, yeah, we know what's going on, but (sighs) that's just the way it is. Yeah. (laughs) And that's scary. (laughs) I thought it was interesting this film
0: was to be made, to be directed by Jack Clayton for a long time, like he was even Mm -hmm. trying to make it back in 1969 for Universal Studios. Why I say that is noteworthy. Jack Clayton directed two other films which we covered, The Innocence and Something Wicked This Way Comes.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I see here that that script was, was by Edward Albee. Oh, Zoo Story, yeah. That's pretty crazy. The, huh.
0: <laughs> I'm sure there's tons of interest and stuff about this film. It's got a lot written on it, about it, yeah. production stuff. The last thing I had was just a fun observation was there is a peephole shot in this film that was so exactly the peephole shot from Rosemary's Baby looking at the neighbor. <laughs> and Where it's
1: like it's like moving a little like it's some kind of rig they have going but it's so funny you know how they shoot that all they do is they they take an actual they just put a lens it's not peephole sized yeah 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 it's bigger and they put it into like a piece of wood or cardboard or whatever the fuck and they just hold it in front of the camera (laughs) and and in these cases they're not, they didn't like lock it down. <laughs> They're just, somebody's holding it in their hand and it's kind of moving a little bit. I
0: think it's, at this time realizing, I think it's it's sort of supposed to approximate how we aren't totally still
1: I, when we're looking
0: through think, something that's... Yeah, I think you're right. When we're looking through something that's small, <laughs> you can't really be affixed a to it. Because I can imagine but. them trying it out and like if you're totally still, it just... It, it seems weird too,
1: you know? Well, and you don't want to move that, like back then, that was a big camera. Yeah. And you, so you don't want to, you're not going to be like shaking the camera around and making it like that's a head moving. I don't know. You, you just could move. just have it be
0: handheld.
1: You could. Yeah, you could. But I think it's just for precision's sake, so much easier to just have the person holding the, the piece of wood and just be like, just slightly moving it around. It's a good effect. Same shot. Great. Yep. All right. Those are the things of note I had. Made $5.1 million apparently in the box office. Great. Yeehaw. All right. Well, with all that, are we good to put a ribbon
0: over all our tenant ribbons? (laughs) Yeah. Great. Well, then that means we can move on to our recommend dead shins to wind down. I will... I haven't been watching so much, but hey, I watched... uh, part 1 of a two-parter movie show somewhere in between the two a documentary called Laurel Canyon it's about you know the 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 fantasy mm. that we like to imagine that was Laurel Canyon back in its um musical uh an influx of musical talents heyday it, there is an there's another like Laurel Canyon documentary out there with Bob Dylan's son. I watched that. That was, it was fine. I've seen that. Echo in the Canyon, I think it was called. That's right. Yeah. It was cool. This, there's, there's something more well done about it. I don't know if it's, they have more music rights or it's, they have, they, they, you hear it's, they have some on-camera interviews, but a lot of it is just voiceover. It allows it to sort of meld with the historical recordings of the different artists. And just allow you to take in these really high res pictures. Um, it's great. It's great. I'm really enjoying it. I mean, I don't know if you're not into that if you'll enjoy it, but it's very well done. And it's from <laughs> as recent as 2020,
1: Laurel Canyon. Um, I'm trying to remember. Last week, remember I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I was gonna recommend dead this, but I'll do this instead. And now I've forgotten what that was. Let me see if I can quickly backtrack through here. Blah 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 blah. It's not that. Oh yes, here it is. They look like people. Is what it's called. It's <laughs> a <the> film. <laughs> it's very odd and interesting. And actually, just watch it because, like, it's one of those ones that if you si- if you kind of say anything. I think it sort of spoils it.
0: Your context um, helps. This was 2015. Is that the one?
1: Yeah, that's it. Cool. Yes, they look like people. If you want a movie that... Well, I, I shouldn't even say that. Okay, just, just watch it. It's it's good. It's cool. It's freaky. And
0: it looks like it was all kind of a one-man uh, crew. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> great we'll watch it after i watch a uh, part two of laurel canyon nice great well it's my turn can you leave uh so a pull from the hat can you leave uh the excitement to me of getting to read it first before you sure and stop Can you see that? From 1960, Peeping Tom. <laughs> oh, no.
1: Peeping Tom. I've heard of this. This
0: is talked about a lot in um, the same breath as Psycho. Of just It's the same year. That's right, yeah. Sort of like, oh, was this actually the first slasher? I. Yeah. Director Michael Powell. I don't know if I've seen it. I f- feel like I've seen something. I think I might have started it once. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out. For next (laughs) week on Dismembering Whore, 1960 Peeping Tom, we hope you join us. In the meantime, you can find us wherever you found us. Our big ask, if you enjoyed being here, is to tell a friend. Though, even if you don't, we are so happy to have you here, nonetheless. Nevertheless. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, well, I guess that's it. So... In closing, we hope your uh, apartment situation is plenty amenable to your needs. You you feel like you're a person. You can walk whatever time at night you feel you want to. Thank you so much for listening.
1: Yep. And we will see you next time. Good. Goodbye.